Welcome to Drinks at Work from Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. This episode is a recording of an interesting one-on-one chat I had up in Brisbane last month for Paramount Liquor's Future Proof event. I spoke with bartender and owner of the soon-to-open Sydney bar, The Waratah, Evan Strove. Evan's a guy with a great resume. He's worked at Shady Pine Saloon and at the Baxter Inn. He ran the show at the much-missed Bulletin Place and was on the opening crew at Sydney Bar Re. He's also been heavily involved in issues around sustainability and in addition to crafting delicious drinks, he's also a deep thinker on all things bar and hospitality. I really enjoyed hearing Evan's perspective on things and I think you will too. So here it is, my chat with Evan Stroh. We're talking about future-proofing the industry and so when I think about future-proofing the bar industry, what the bar industry is gonna be like in say five, 10 years, 15, 20 years, uh, often that will come bring up the topic of sustainability. Uh, this is partly why you're here because you've got some great experience in that. But before we get to that, what are we, what are we future proofing here? What makes a, a strong industry? You've worked at um, Shady Pine Saloon is where we first met. You've worked at Bullet and Place, uh, Baxter, yeah, yeah. Um, and and most uh, most recently Re in Sydney. These are all pretty like well, uh, world-renowned bars. They've got what, what? What makes these bars great? What is the thing that makes them sort of stand out in the kind of global scale? They're also they're so different, all of them. No, they? I know, but is yeah. there a key thing I, there? I, I don't think there's a there's one. I don't think there's one thing. You look at you look at the success of Shady Pines, and it, it kind of comes down to it being a raucous. Um, energetic peanut shells on the floor yeah yeah and it's just it doesn't take itself too seriously and no matter the team that's there because it you know it's 14 years old now it's changed teams so many times no matter who's there it's always fun it's always really really enjoyable and the fit out's really sick as well like it's unique and you feel like you're walking down a set of stairs and you're escaping the world outside um i think shady pines success is it kind of falls on its earnestness Earnestness. Yeah. Like right. it, it is what it is. It is what it is. It says what it, it does it, on the tin. A hundred percent. And it's consistent. It's, you know, obviously bars change over the years, but I imagine the Shady Pines of today and the Shady Pines of whatever it was, 2010. I don't know. That's You're older I, than me. So. Well, I went, I went there then, yeah. Uh, thank you, Evan. You were still in I school, imagine, I imagine. But yeah. I, I imagine they're a fairly um, similar bar. All right, and so you have that place, you have uh, Bullet in Place, which it was, it's now gone, but it was also one of these most acclaimed bars in the world. I always thought it was a, a beacon of what Australian cocktail bars should look like, right? Produce driven, flavor first, uh, top notch co- cocktails but and service, but also approachable and easy going. Yeah, there was no bullshit. <laughs> um, I think, you know, Bulletin lasted 10 years, which, grants it institution status. I yeah, think, I think it's institution status, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was no bullshit, you know. It was a really kind of honest drinks philosophy that put produce and producers first and it did that with a gimmick or a hook in its in its kind of daily menu. Yeah, so, okay. What I'm trying to ask you, though, is like, so if we think about a strong industry five, ten years from now, we need bars like that have been around for ten years, fifteen years. They've got past the hump of, like, the first few years of, like, not having any money eating two-minute noodles or whatever to get the bars going. What is – there's got to be, like, something that we can draw from it's, that, it's, right? cons- it's consistent values. It's like – Consistency. It's it, Yeah, well, consistency in terms of service and drinks and that kind of stuff, that's, I think, peripheral. But consistency in terms of your values and what, and what you stand for and your philosophy, the way you treat your staff and, and the kind of message you're telling through your product is consistent. 
at the same time, you need you need to be able to change, but just change the right amount. You know what I mean? Like you think about well, that's the magic, right? Yeah. And what's the right amount? Exactly. The the world twenty years ago, the bartending world twenty years ago is not the same one that we're in. Today. I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, why we, I don't bartend we, anymore. We just, we just kind of spoke about branding and, and marketing and, you know, you're seeing bars like Bar Planet pick up the TikTok trend and that kind of thing. 20 years ago, bars didn't even have a social media presence, you know, but they do now. So there is, there's a degree of remaining flexible, being able to change, but, you know, stay committed to your core values. And, and who drives that change in a venue? I mean, ownership must have a role to play, but also, I guess, senior staff. Yeah, you've got to be critical of yourself. Like... You know, I'm, I'm soon to be a bar owner. I've never been a bar owner yet, but I've always kind of taken that ownership perspective and it's easy to not be critical of yourself because you are so passionate about what you're doing and it's your baby and, but you need to be able to look inwards and go, okay, maybe we're missing the mark here. We need to be able to pivot change in these different aspects. Well, yeah, and also I guess you're, I mean, you're opening the Waratah in Sydney soon, which is one day. The most anticipated bar of 2022. It'll be open sometime in 2025. Uh, you know what? The best part is, what, six months ago we did these talks in Sydney and I used the same joke. It's still not open. He's getting, he's getting some good mileage out of that one. <laughs> okay. Well, if we're talking, like, uh, you also worked at RE, which is, um, for you who, uh, people who don't know, t- tell people who, what RE is about. It's a big sustainably focused cocktail yeah, bar yeah. by so, Matt Wiley. So the, I guess the business card of RE is that it is presenting itself as the, world, the world's most sustainable bar or attempting to be one of the world's most sustainable bars and that's essentially through the repurposing of waste. So whether that be in the, the infrastructure of your venue from the bar top to the light lampshades to – um, you know, to the stairs that were made from old car tires through to the product itself. It's all about kind of upcycling waste. Um, and uh, what well, it's been open three years. I was there for the first two. Uh, and it's, it's special. And I think it's, it was kind of popular for different reasons. Like whereas Shady Pines is the bar you go to and you have 10 beers and have a dance, reason not that. Like it is a little more kind of boundary pushing well, yeah and it's kind of like this kind of world's fair kind of bar right where it's um showing you what can be possible yeah. in bars in the next five ten years you, you take a you take a concept that is contemporary important and you push it to its furthest possible limits right. and that's obviously niche that is a niche concept it's not something that's going to appeal to everyone and that was never Matt's, it's not, not for the Caxton Street. It was, it was never Matt's vision to appeal to everyone. There's, there's, there's bars that do that and there's bars that don't. Um, and that's, you know, talk about future-proofing the industry. You need that diversity. You need those niche bars. You need your little whiskey bars and your sustainable bars, your dive bars, et cetera. It needs to be a good kind of breadth of everything. Yeah, because we're living in a world where, you know, uh, rents are rising for, for not just for businesses but for people, you know, who work in the bars uh, inflation on inputs like produce, spirits, spirits go up t- uh, twice a year in price. Don't open a bar. <laughs> <laughs> go on the TikTok. Yeah, is that the thing? Yeah, do it. The TikTok. Um, <laughs> no, it is, it is expensive. Right. And so what I'm, what I'm interested in, when it comes to sustainability from a re kind of perspective, I, should bars be embracing this just because it's environmentally sound and that's a good thing or can it actually make them some money and can it actually be a way of future-proofing themselves against like further cost increases? 
there's there's aspects of sustainability which are it will make you money. There's and there's there's aspects which probably won't. Like you recycling your coffee grounds and, and recycling oranges while altruistic and, and for, for the best possible reasons, probably not going to affect your profit and loss at the end of the week in any kind of you know big way. Right. Um, things like supply chain though and, and understanding where your produce comes from, when it's in abundance, when it's in season, which is also when it's at its cheapest usually, yeah. understanding that seasonality and supply chain, that will save you money as well using ugly fruit, seconds, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, the seconds fruit. So that's a big thing at Re, right? So you'll get the fruit that can't go into the shelves at Woolies or Coles because it's got blemishes on it, but there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Uh, but you get it for a steal. It's funny. When, when we, I worked at Bulletin Place, we used to change the menu every day. So we'd all we'd, – we'd, five new drinks every day. It, it didn't fail because – it didn't close because it failed. It closed because it's a lot of fucking work. It's just way <laughs> too much work, yeah. Um, but we used, you know, we used to order produce every day and because we changed the menu every day, it meant that that produce needed to be fresh or we wanted, to, wanted it to be at its best and the amount of fucking arguments and fights we used to have with the provador because the mangoes weren't ripe enough or the, the pineapple wasn't fresh enough. When you start ordering waste, it's perfect. It's like it's it right is, to go. It is the most perfect produce I've ever seen. And, I, and you know, I'm not, I'm not sure why that is. I think... When you know when a provador supplies fruit to a business, it's a restaurant or a bar. You know you're expecting a bit of shelf life. Might stay in the cool room for a little while, so it comes in a little bit underripe because you need lead time to to process it. If it's waste, it's ripe that day. It's fresh. If I had known that at Bullets and Place, it would have changed fucking everything. <laughs> is it? But is this something that most bars can actually adopt, or is it like just for of course. high-end bars? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's cheaper. And it's well, cheaper. How, how do you go about doing that? Like, not everyone has a relationship with their their fruit guy, or should they? Yeah, they should. There's there's no reason why you couldn't. I mean, I imagine the the supply chain in Queensland is very similar to what it is in New South Wales. You've got a hub of produce, or the Flemington markets in New South Wales. Farmers go there with their produce. Then you have a provador or a middleman that then goes and negotiates the price on that produce. They store it in their warehouse and you order through them. So what we did at Ray, we essentially said, look, this is what we want. We need to come in, have a look, show us how much waste you've got. And from that, we can figure out what we work with. But if you just ask your provador to supply seconds, to supply overly ripe fruit or ugly or blemished fruit, then they're going to be more than happy to do that because they don't want to see it go to waste either, but it does. And so, like, what's the kind of cost differential on that just by making that one one choice? It, it, it changes, but, you know, 10, 15, 20%. Right. Well, I mean, that's meaningful, though, across a year. 100%. It, I mean, you're not going to use it for everything. Like, bars that aren't, aren't pushing that sustainability angle shouldn't be expected to be sustainable in every possible way, but there are little things you can do. And using, yeah, using second secondary fruit is one of them for sure. Well, yeah, because I feel like there was a conversation about sustainability that was uh, hot for a minute there probably five to eight years ago. COVID happened and then we all became really great friends with plastic again, you know, because, <laughs> you know, we didn't want to die. 100%, it's convenient. <laughs> um, straws, yes, please. Um, but like when it comes to sort of high volume places, is this something they can adopt as well? Because when you go to a larger and larger venue, 
it feels like you're always busy. When do you have the time to go, oh, I need to chat to my guy who's the fruit guy? It's harder. It's harder. You, you're usually busier. Um, and for all of that waste, you know, you can talk, as a busy venue, you can talk to your fruit guy and you can, you can order seconds. That's fine. But in terms of like reusing stuff, it becomes a little bit harder. You know, you've, you've got to find, presumably you're doing more volume. So then you have to find an outlet for that volume. Yeah. You know, if you're reusing, let's say mint sprigs, mint stems or whatever, then you need to find an outlet for that. And the bigger you are, the more of that you have to go through. So it's like, it's a... And not everyone's going to do like a, a, a top to a tip to tail kind of yeah. uh, mint stem daiquiri or something, right? The, the easier, it's, it's easier the smaller you are. Right. For sure, for sure. I think... Is the, there an opportunity there then for like smaller players to supply bigger players with these kind of supply chain kind of logistics? Definitely. There's, there's kind of this idea of um, waste diversion. So I think the second menu at Re was all about using other people's waste right. rather than, you know. Which like, sounds so sexy. I know. You know? It's, it's I really want to go spend $25 on someone yeah. else's waste. Fish eye martinis <laughs> and shit. <laughs> well, like, we, <laughs> no, but we've spoken before about the storytelling aspect of this thing because sustainability can be kind of boring and when you talk, like on Ree's latest list, you're not there anymore, on the latest one, and it's a delicious drink, but it's like chicken feet and stuff. It's like, it's not for everybody. No, it's not. It's so not. how do you tell the story about it? But it's all, there's almost an element of shock value with that kind of thing. And it's not like, and it's not like every drink is like that either. Like, you know, you've got, you've got. A, but do you think that's why it's on there? Because it's like the, like in every, every press story I read about, it, I was like, chicken feet. I did it as well. Let's, let's set you up with an expectation that this drink is going to be shit. <laughs> and then it's not. That's, right. I mean, that's, that's the mentality of, of something like that. It's like, right. look at this thing that is hideous and gross in every possible way, but look at what we can do with it that is delicious and special. Chicken feet drink, also after my time. After your <laughs> Look at you. Okay, but is there... How, how would you suggest to people in the audience tonight how they would go and implement these things in their bar? Is it, can it A, make the money, but B, how to like, do they need certain personnel to do this? Like who should be doing this, this kind of job in the bar? If you're, if you're seriously invested in it and it doesn't, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, chasing zero waste because I don't think it's in a bar at least. I, has, has anyone done zero no, waste? I, don't, I, don't I mean, think, I think I, native in Singapore got pretty close. Then, no, I don't. Th I don't think anyone is, and I don't think anyone will be. I think the you look at a restaurant, you take somewhere like Silo in London, you are working with covers, and you've been open for four or five years, so you you know, you have projections and you have a rough idea on how many people are going to come into your restaurant. You can look at the bookings before you... Bookings, covers, yeah. etc. Because you know that, you know how much of each dish you need and you know how much of your waste you're going to manage and how much you need to compost. Bars don't have the luxury of that, that confidence. You know, there's, there's variables. You'll have a really quiet Friday night and you'll have all this leftover shit that you have to use and then you'll have a really... Busy Monday night, like it's just the. I, I feel like the unpredictability of bars makes zero waste very, very hard. Well, is that something that is possible to change? That unpredictability. We did go through COVID and had a booking system for a lot of things, for a lot of bars. Is that something that's desirable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's yeah, it well, it, it can be. You know, if if you if you have a more kind of formal bar that's based around the experience of 
what it is you're drinking in a, in a, a less kind of casual bar, then a booking system works. But, you know, imagine if Shady Pines had a booking system. It doesn't like that. It just depends on your style of venue. I think the, the biggest thing we found at Re was that for every question or problem you find a solution for or an answer to, another two pop up. Like it's, it's almost like you're consistently chasing your tail. Um, I think it's, you know, it's pretty close. There's it, everything from solar power through to what the building's made from through to what's in your drink is somehow upcycled waste. So, you know, you can get pretty close to zero waste, but you're still going to generate. And, and so who should be the people in, in the venue kind of yeah. looking after this? Is it ownership level or like a, a management level or should be like a especially creative position kind of thing? If your management team and ownership team want to kind of push you towards using wastage, then it can come from up top. But if you're a, you're a young bartender who is inspired by this kind of process and it's something you want to get into, then it's as simple as kind of working it into your regular R&D. So what I would recommend if you do want to start on this journey, begin by keeping a log of what you do throw out. So at Re, we used to have a little kind of booklet um, by each station this is kind of towards the start and we just make a note of stuff that we're getting rid of right and then you kind of you factor that into your end of end of shift i, I would have been like that's five rocks glasses i didn't want to wash uh, yeah yeah <laughs> yes. you factor that in that you, fa- you factor that into your um yeah end of night report or whatever it is and then you you're aware of what you're wasting and then you need to find an outlet. It's having an audit, right? Yeah. yeah, it's an audit. It's exactly what it is. So you start by doing an audit. That way you know what you're throwing out and then just work that into your regular R&D, whether it's for a menu listing or a special. or It doesn't necessarily mean more hours, more manpower. It doesn't, it doesn't need to mean that. I mean the further – But is there a reorientation in the way you think about your yeah, ingredients? You're, just, you're shifting your focal point of care, I guess. You're, you're just becoming a little bit more aware of what it is you're getting rid of. It is a shift of focus, yeah. Right. So can you give us a, like an example of how you would do that? Like what are the things that you can, that you can actually get rid of that will actually taste good at some point? <laughs> um, within the bar, you know, you've got the usual culprits. Example um, that we used to do at Bulletin. With our citrus, you know, this was at the start of the big sustainability push. Citrus is bad, need to reuse it, all rubbish. Um, but you need to reuse it. So what we do because I, like, I don't ever want to have again another trash tiki daiquiri. Yes, yeah. they have never tasted like a daiquiri ever. This, this citrus hate that comes from like sustainable and and that kind of bar is absurd. <laughs> There's a whole industry built on it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's you know during winter it's fucking everywhere and it's cheap and it's delicious <laughs> when it comes to talking to your guests about this stuff though is there something can you actually make money out of selling this story to them how do you go about selling that story so it doesn't sound like it's like oh we had this shit in the bin would you like to drink that now 25 dollars, please yeah <laughs> i mean that was a cheap shot but yeah how do you not make it sound like shit, basically? Well, no, like how, do, like, how do you sell it? Like, what are the benefits? No, I know. Because not, everyone, not everyone's, like, environmentally minded. Some people are. And they're happy to pay, you know, extra money yeah, for yeah, that, yeah. right? I think um, most people, most majority of people don't go to a bar to drink sustainably. They don't. You don't really want to think about the dire state of the world. You're there to you not don't. think about the dire state of the world. Yeah, I think we drink like that. I think the average consumer is a little bit more you know, uh, 
educated with their, their choices in the sense that you give them that option and it's new and it's a little bit different. Obviously, you don't, you, you're, not, you're not selling it to them as the orange peels that you pulled out of the bin. It's like rather than throwing this kind of thing out, we've, we've decided to reuse it in a cordial. We've got this really bright orange-based gimlet drink. Would you like to try that? They're going to the try drink slaps. Do you want to drink it? The drink's banging, dude. Just get it. <laughs> people, 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 when given the option, will take it. Um, but you just don't, you don't want to force it down anyone's throat because that's not the reason they're there. Now, uh, I'm going to throw the floor for some questions in a moment, but you are opening your own bar. You are the owner now. and 2025. You got, you got, you got, you got, and you're going to have to pay the bills and everything. How much of this stuff are you going to incorporate into your kind of standard operating procedure? It, it'll be exactly that. It'll be standard operating procedure. Not to the point where we're rebuilt, we're building the bar out of, you know, leftover Mycelium, milk, milk bottles and stuff. Mushrooms and stuff. It's just, it's kind of second nature. If something has value and we can reuse it, reuse it, but it also won't be the business card. Yeah, like, right. It, 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 so like what is going to be the business card? You can give an exclusive here right now. What's the Waratah going to be about? What's the big idea? You've got exclusive rights to this. Are you sure? You- uh, well, you know, I'll write it again. That's fine. Um, you'll, you'll, <laughs> it's not the first time I've rewritten you, a story. You'll, you'll see. You guys will see soon, I promise. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's very mysterious. Now, do we have any questions for Evan? Yeah, we got one here. We got one here. All right. I'm going to start at the front uh, to the wonderful Andy Bully. Um, I feel like sustainability has been a massive thing in the industry lately. And a lot of us are focusing primarily on produce. Um, but to me, that's just the second part of a cocktail. The first part is the hero, and that's the alcohol. And that, to me, is something that often gets swept under the rub, like the carbon emissions that come with transporting alcohol all over the world. And do you think that's a conversation that's going to be start to be brought up in the industry? Do you think bars are going to be focusing more on, you know, sourcing local for alcohol? Or what's that going to look like in the next five years? I think there is, there is a bigger push to support local producers in the in the booze space i think the biggest impediment to that is price point that the the tax all about the dollars man it is it what is you know at the end of the day you can be as altruistic as you want but if you if financially you go under then you go under um and and alcohol and cost of goods is such a big part of a business i think the pendulum is starting to to shift but the taxation system on on australian alcohol is absurd and and it makes it hard for producers to be competitive. But there's more and more people thinking about it, for sure. You've got the people downstairs with the, uh, the Eco Totes, Proof & Company. Yeah. we got a question over here. So regarding the process of you designing and wanting to launch your own venue with the sustainability in mind, how much of that process comes down to you and your venue and potentially the staff and their labouring hours to perform the sustainability practices versus outsourcing, say, you know, hitting up local businesses and seeing if they would be interested in any of the produce that you, that you're, all the wastage you have. At my venue? Well, your experience in general with it, how much would you say is, you know, on venue and up to you and your staff and how much of that gets outsourced and force, uh, forms more networking? The, the production, like the, the R&D, none of that is ever outsourced um, and it's not something I'd want to outsource, like the creative control you have over your product at the end of the day is one of the, the things you're most proud about. And I never really want to lose control over that. When it comes to the, the stuff you get from, from other people, you know, re we used coffee, chaff, fish fat, like there's a million things, but, but 
it's up to you. Like we, we had a full menu based off that stuff. Initially it was only a couple of things, but I would say most, um, you know, whether it's a gelato shop or a bakery, most people when you go and approach them and you ask them, they're going to be keen to work with you purely because they want to see what you do, but it's just cool. It's cool for them to not have to throw their stuff out and see what you do with it. That can have like sort of benefits around the community too, right? So if it's a shop down the road, there can be sort of a little bit of a nice virtuous loop between the two businesses, right? For sure. And it's another, it's another story. Like our industry is built on storytelling. If you can attach another business and philosophy that is works around the corner, then it, it's another personal fingerprint on your product. Okay, another question? Um, you spoke a lot about um, how your staff's values is really what drives your business and the, your business model. And I'm wondering how, with the workforce changing, you are continuing to find staff that match your values and when you can't, what do you do? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, when, we, when we opened RE, it was new and exciting. It was really, really shiny. Um, so hire, hiring people wasn't wasn't difficult. After after two years, it you know became more difficult. Post COVID, everyone kind of dropped off. Um, but short answer is, I don't think they have they have struggled. Like it is an interesting concept that, that speaks for itself. With the, every new generation of bartender, they bring something different too, right? Uh, of course, and it, and you know, there's a lot of bartenders that that just want to make really classic drinks and there's a lot of bartenders that don't they do want to kind of push the boundaries and and re-provided that for them when it comes to the waratah it's a, it's a little bit of both so we've got there's a it's a dual concept essentially the, uh, it's two levels downstairs is very classics driven upstairs is the polar opposite um so when it comes to hiring hopefully there's something there for everybody Okay, I'm going to get in the wind-up now. One more question and then we're going to get you all downstairs to drink some more lovely beverages. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to touch on earlier, like right at the beginning, you mentioned consistency for businesses who are planning to uh, last five to ten years. And I was curious about your opinions on staff retention. It's fairly similar to the last question there. Um, but staff retention and senior staff and training to match those values of the business so that you can provide consistency over a long period of time. Yeah, staff retention is a big one. It's um, this is a big one. We're going to get into the next topic as well. Oh, is so, it? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I think it. I think it comes down to to creating a, a supportive framework, whether that's training or whether it's promoting from within, or whether it's supporting mental health programs or career coaching or gym memberships. It's it's you know it's going to be different everywhere, but just. Providing you know transparency and a supportive framework—that's that's all it comes down to. And also, as a business owner, you want people to leave eventually. You know, not not within a year. You want people three, four, five years to go and do their own thing because you know, if you've been with me for three years, I don't know how much else I have to teach you. You know, call it two and a half. All right, sure. can we give Evanstrove a big round of applause? Thanks again to Evan and to Paramount for inviting me to host the talks at their Future Proof events. Give them a follow on Instagram to find out when they host their next event. Their handle is at Paramount Liquor. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague. It's a really great way to get the word out about the podcast. 
Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.